Chapter Twenty Three of In the Mayor's Parlor by J. S. Fletcher. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Connecting Wall. From a certain amount of whispering and nodding that went on around him, Brent gathered that this ancient gentleman was not unknown to many of those present. But Tansley was turning to him, ready as always with information. That's old Dr. Pellery, he whispered. Old Dr. Septimus Pellery. Tremendous big pot on antiquarianism, archaeology, and that sort of stuff. Used to live here in Hathelsborough years ago, when I was a youngster. I should have thought he was dead long since. Wonder where they unearthed him, and what he's here for. No end of a swell, in his own line, anyway. Meeking seemed determined to impress on the court the character and extent of Dr. Pellery's qualifications as an expert in archaeological matters. Addressing him in an almost reverential manner, he proceeded to enumerate the witness's distinctions. "'Dr. Pellery, you are, I believe, a fellow of the Society of Antiquaries?' "'I have that honour. "'And a member of more than one archaeological society?' "'I am.' "'And a corresponding member of various foreign societies of a similar sort?' "'For many years.' You are also, I think, a doctor of civil law of the University of Oxford? Yes. And the author of many books and articles on your pet subject, archaeology? That is so. Am I right, Dr. Pellery, in believing that you are thoroughly well acquainted with the archaeology, antiquities, and ancient architecture of this town? Quite right. I lived here for several years, ten or eleven years. That was when? It is about twenty years since I left this place. You made a close study of it while you were resident here? A very close study. Hathelsborough, from my point of view, is one of the most deeply interesting towns in England. While I lived here, I accumulated a vast mass of material respecting its history and antiquities with the idea of writing a monograph on the borough, but I have never made use of it. Let us hope that you will still do so, Dr. Pellery, said Meeking, with a suave smile and polite bow. But Dr. Pellery shook his head and stroked his long beard. A cynical smile played round his wrinkled eyes. No, I don't think I ever shall, he said. Indeed, I'm sure I shan't. May I ask why? You may, because there aren't twenty people in Hathelsborough who would buy such a book, Hathelsborough people don't care tuppence about the history of their old town. All they care about is money. This case is a proof. I think we'll get back to the case, said Meeking, amidst a ripple of laughter. Well, we may consider you as the greatest living expert on Hathelsborough anyway, Dr. Pellery, and eminently fitted to give us some very important evidence. Do you know the ancient church of St. Lawrence at the back of this moot hall? "'Aye, as well as I know my own face in the glass,' answered Dr. Pellery with a short laugh. "'Every stone of it.' "'It is, I believe, a very old church?' "'It is the oldest church not only in Hathelsborough, which is saying a good deal, but in all this part of the country,' replied the witness with emphasis. "'St. Hathelswood, the parish church, is old, but St. Lawrence antedates it by at least five hundred years.' The greater part of St. Lawrence, as it now stands, was complete in the 8th century. 
St. Hathelswood was built in the 13th. Meeking produced a large chart, evidently made for the occasion, and had it set up on the table in full view of the bench and the witness-box. From this plan, Dr. Pellery, it appears that the West Tower, a square tower, of St. Lawrence, immediately faces the back of the Moot Hall, and between the outer hall of the tower and the outer wall of the Moot Hall there is a sort of connecting wall. Not a sort of, interrupted Dr. Pellery, it is a connecting wall, thirty-six feet long, ten feet high, and eight feet in width, forming an arch over the street beneath the narrow street called St. Lawrence Lane. "'It is an uncommon feature, that wall,' suggested Meeking. "'Comparatively, yes. I know of other places where ancient buildings are so joined, but there are few examples.' "'Well, I want to ask you a very important question about that connecting wall. Is there a secret way through that wall from St. Lawrence Tower to the Moot Hall?' Dr. Pellery drew himself up, stroked his beard and glanced round the court. Then he gave Meeking an emphatic nod. There is, and I discovered it, years ago, and I have always thought that I was the only living person who knew of it. Meeking let this answer soak into the mentality of his hearers. Then he said quietly, Will you tell us all about it, Dr. Pellery? Enough for your purpose, replied the witness. You have there, I believe, a sectional drawing of the tower. Give it to me. Now, he continued, holding up a sheet of stout paper and illustrating his remarks with the tip of his forefinger, I will show you what I mean. St. Lawrence Tower is eighty feet in height. It is divided into three sections. The lower section, the most considerable of the three, forms a western porch to the church itself, which is entered from it by a Norman arch. Above this is the middle section, above that the upper section, wherein are three ancient bells. The middle and upper sections are reached from the lower by a newel stair, set in the southwest angle of the tower. Now the middle section has for many centuries been a beamed and panelled chamber, from which the bells are rung, and wherein are stored a good many old things belonging to the church, chiefly in ancient chests. During the years that I lived in Hathelsborough, I spent a great deal of time in this chamber. The then vicar of St. Lawrence, Mr. Goodbody, allowed me to examine anything I found stored there. It was amongst the muniments and registers of St. Lawrence, indeed, that I discovered a great deal of valuable information about the history of the town. Well, I have just said that this chamber, this middle section of the tower, is panelled. It is panelled from the oak flooring to within two feet of the oak beams in its ceiling, and the panelling, though it is probably four hundred years old, is in an excellent state of preservation. Now, about the middle of the last year that I spent in this town, I began to be very puzzled about the connecting wall between St. Lawrence Tower and the Moot Hall. I saw no reason for making an arch at that point, and the wall had certainly not been built as a support for the masonry of the tower and of the hall is unusually solid. I got the idea that that wall had been originally built as a means of communication between tower and hall, that it was hollow, and that there, at each extremity, there was a secret means of entrance and exit. I knew from experience that this sort of thing was common in Hathelsborough. The older part of the town is a veritable rabbit warren. 
There is scarcely a house in the marketplace, for instance, in which there is not a double staircase, the inner one being very cleverly concealed, and I know of several secret ways and passages, entered, say, on one side of a street, and terminating far off on another. There is a secret underground way between the market square, which is entered at the Barbican in the castle, and terminates in St. Faith's Chapel in St. Hathelswyde's Church. There is another, also underground, from St. Matthias's Hospital to the God's House in Cripple Lane. There are others. As I say, the old town is honeycombed. So there would be, of course, nothing unusual or remarkable in the presence of a secret passage between St. Lawrence Tower and the Boot Hall. The only thing was that there was no record of any such passage through the connecting wall. No one had ever heard of it, and there were no signs of entrance to it either in the tower or in the Moot Hall. However, I discovered it by careful and patient investigation of the panelling in the chamber I have mentioned. The panelling is divided on each side of the chamber into seven compartments. The fourth compartment on the outer wall slides back and gives access to a passage cut through the arch across St. Lawrence Lane, and so to the Moot Hall. "'There's one man here who knows all this,' whispered Tansley in Brent's ear. "'Look at Crevin Crude.' Crevin was smiling. There was something unusually cynical in his smile, but it conveyed more than cynical amusement to Brent. There was in it the suggestion of assurance. Crevin, decided Brent, had something up his sleeve. But the other people present were still intent on the old antiquary. Having come to the end of his explanation, he was passing back the chart to Meeking, and seemed satisfied with what he had said. Meeking, however, wanted more. "'To the Moot Hall,' he repeated. "'Well, Dr. Pellery, and where does this passage emerge in the Moot Hall?' "'Just so,' said Dr. Pellery. "'That, of course, is important.' Well, the wall or arch between St. Lawrence Tower and the Moot Hall, on reaching the outer wall of the latter, is continued within, from that outer wall along the right-hand side of the corridor, off which the extremely ancient chamber known as the Mayor's Parlour is situated. If close examination is made of that wall, you will find that it is eight feet thick. But it is not a solid wall. The secret passage I have mentioned runs through it, to a point halfway along the length of the mayor's parlour, and access to the mayor's parlour is had by a secret door in the old panelling of that chamber, just as in the case of the chamber in the church tower. You investigated all this yourself, Dr. Pellery? Discovered and investigated it, and kept the secret to yourself? I did. I saw no reason for communicating it to anyone. However, as you discovered it, it was not impossible that others should make the same discovery? It is very evident that somebody has discovered it, replied the witness with emphasis. Now, you say that it is about twenty years since you made this discovery. Have you been in St. Lawrence Tower since? Yes, Superintendent Hawthwaite has been in communication with me, privately, about this matter for some time. I came to Hathelsbury yesterday, and in the afternoon he and I visited the tower, and I showed him the secret way and the doors in the panelling. We passed from the tower into the mayor's parlour, as you or any one may just now 
if you know the secret of the sliding panels. Is it what you would call a difficult secret? Not a bit of it, once you have hit on the exact spot at which to exert a pressure. The panels are then moved back quite easily. Your evidence, then, Dr. Pellery, comes to this. There is a secret passage through the apparently solid arch in St. Lawrence Lane, which leads directly from the middle chamber in St. Lawrence Tower to the Mayor's Parlour in the Moot Hall. Is that correct? Dr. Pellery made an old-fashioned bow. That is absolutely correct. I am sure the court is greatly obliged to you, sir, said Meeking, responding to the old man's courtesy. He looked round, and seeing that Stedman made no sign, glanced at the policeman who stood by the witness-box. "'Call Stephen Spizey,' he commanded. Spizey moved ponderously into the box in all the glory of his time-honoured livery. He looked very big and very consequential, and unusually glum. Meeking, who was not a Hathelsborough man, glanced quizzingly at Spizey's grandeur and at the cocked hat which Spizey placed on the ledge before him. "'Uh, you're some sort of a corporation official, aren't you, Spicy?' he suggested. "'A parator to his worshipful the mayor of Hathelsborough,' responded Spicy in his richest tones. "'Mace-bearer to his worship, town-crier, bellman, steward of the pound, steward of high cross and low cross, summoner of Thursday market, convener of Saturday market, receiver of dues and customs,' "'You appear to be a good deal of a pluralist,' interrupted Meeking. "'However, are you caretaker of St. Lawrence Church?' "'I am. "'Do you live in a cottage at the corner of St. Lawrence Churchyard?' "'I do. "'Do you remember the evening on which Mr. Wallingford was murdered?' "'Yes. "'At seven o'clock of that evening, were you in your cottage?' "'I was.' Did Mr. Krevin Crood come to your cottage door about seven o'clock and ask you for the keys of St. Lawrence? He did. Did he say why he wanted to go into the church? Yes, to write out a inscription for a London gent as wanted it. Did you give him the keys? I did. Did you see him go into the church? Yes, and hear him lock himself inside it. Did he eventually bring the keys back? Not to me, my missus. Meeking waved Spizey's magnificence aside and called for Mrs. Spizey. Mrs. Spizey, too, readily remembered the evening under discussion and said so with a sniff which seemed to indicate decided disapproval of her memories respecting it. What were you doing that evening, Mrs. Spizey? asked Meeking. "'Which, for the most part of it, sir, I was a-washing of that very floor as you're a-standing on, sir, me being cleaner to the moot hall. That'd be from six to eight. "'Then you went home, I suppose?' "'I did, sir, and very thankful, too.' "'Was your husband at home?' "'He were not, sir, which Spizey had gone out to have his glass, sir, as is his custom.' "'Did Mr. Crevin Crood come to you with the keys of the church?' He did, sir, which the clock had just struck eight, and remarked, sir, that the light was failing, and that his eyes wasn't as strong as they had been. Pleasant-like, sir. I see. Had Mr. Krevin Crood any papers in his hand? He had papers in his hand, sir, or under his arm. And that was just after eight o'clock? 
The clocks had just struck it, sir. Meeking nodded his dismissal of Mrs. Spizey. It was plain that he was getting near the end of his case, and his manner became sharp and almost abrupt. Call Detective Sergeant Welton, he said. Welton, were you present when Superintendent Hawthwaite arrested the prisoner Creven Crood, and afterwards when the other prisoner, Simon Crood, was taken into custody? I was, sir. Did you afterwards, on Superintendent Hawthwaite's instructions, search Creven Crood's lodgings and Simon Crood's house? I did, sir. Tell their worships what you found. I first made a search at the rooms occupied by Creven Crood in Little Bailey Gate. I there found in an old writing-case kept in his bedroom a quantity of papers and documents in the handwriting of the late Mayor, Mr. Wallingford. I handed these over to Superintendent Hawthwaite. I now produce them. There are fifty-six separate papers in all. I have gone through them carefully. All relate to corporation accounts and to the financial affairs of the borough. Several are blood-stained. There was a shiver of horror among the women present, as the witness handed over a sheaf of various-sized papers, indicating where the stains lay. But the even-toned, matter-of-fact, coldly official voice went on. Later I made a search of the prisoner Simon Crood's house at the tannery. In a desk in a room which he used as a private office, I found more papers and documents similar to those which I had found at Creven Crood's lodgings. I produced these. There are seventeen separate papers. All are in the handwriting of the late Mr. Wallingford. I also discovered in a drawer of Simon Crood's bedroom a memorandum book, bound in red leather, the greater part of which is filled with notes and figures made by the late mayor. I produced this too. I also identified as a book which the late mayor was in the habit of carrying about with him. I have frequently seen him make use of it. While every neck was craned forward to catch a glimpse of the memorandum book, Tansley suddenly saw Creven Crood making signals to him from the dock. He drew Brent's attention to the fact, then went down into the well of the court and over to Creven. Brent watched them curiously. It seemed to him that Creven was asking Tansley's advice and that Tansley was dissuading Creven from adopting some particular course. They conversed for some minutes while the magistrates were examining the memorandum book and the papers. Simon Crood joined in and seemed to agree with Tansley. But suddenly, Creven turned away from both with a decisive gesture and advanced to the front of the dock. "'Your worships!' he exclaimed in a loud, compelling tone. "'I have had quite enough of this farce. I desire to make a full and important statement.' End of chapter 23